This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. We're here with Kent Smetters. He's a Wharton professor of business economics and public policy. Welcome, Kent. Good to be here. He's going to talk to us today about the latest iteration of the Penn Wharton budget model, which Kent was instrumental in developing. And uh, this is a free, nonpartisan, online, interactive model, uh, which anyone can, can plug into. Uh, and the last time we spoke, we covered Social Security and immigration, the effects that they might have on, on the budget. And this time we're going to talk about tax policy, uh, those policies of the two presidential candidates and also I think a couple of other uh, leading proposals that are floating around Congress. But I guess we'll focus mostly on the presidential right, candidates. Right. So uh, let's just jump into it. What, what are the different tax plans that you're analyzing? Yeah, so we, uh, as you just mentioned, the two presidential candidates, Clinton and, and Trump. And there's also been a very large effort by the House GOP, led by Speaker Ryan and Chairman Kevin Brady, of the House Budget Committee, um, and so we've also been uh, we also analyzed their plan. So, what are the main features of the plans for the average household? Yeah, for individual households, it's r all the plans have basically make two adjustments. The first is simply the marginal tax rates are changing. And in particular, the marginal tax rate is how much. Uh, in taxes you pay for the next dollar that, that you make. And economists generally believe marginal tax rates are much more important for economic activity than, say, the average tax rate that you, you, you face. And the second thing that the plans do is they change the amount of um, itemized and standard de deductions. And that's, that's the amount of income that you can have before you're taxed. Mm -hmm. And what about for business taxation? That's where there's a lot bigger amount of changes, especially in the Trump and the House GOP plan. First, the corporate tax rate itself is lowered in both the Trump and the House GOP plan. In the Clinton plan, it's actually increased uh, a little bit. And the second thing that the Trump and uh, uh, House GOP plan in particular do, which is the, the most aggressive thing, is that they accelerate the, the rate at which uh, uh, companies can depreciate their capital investments. And economists actually generally believe that that's much more important for stimulating the economy than the corporate tax rate itself. And the reason why is by accelerating the amount of depreciation, sometimes called expensing, it only isolates new investment, whereas changing the corporate tax rate is not just impacting new investment, but existing installed capital as well. And uh, the third thing that the Trump and uh, Ryan plans do is that they affect what's called the pass-through rate. Some capital income is taxed at the household level, some at the corporate level. More of theirs would be taxed at the corporate level, which will have a lower tax rate. So what are the main differences between those plans? Right. I mean, it's a sweeping generalization, um, but it, roughly speaking, you know, the Trump plan is the most aggressive. Uh, the Clinton plan is the least aggressive, and the House GOP is kind of in between, and um, a bit a bit closer uh, uh, to the to the Trump plan, though. When you say aggressive, you mean just the the uh, degree of change? Just the overall degree of change. That's right. 
All right. So, um, so users can go to your website and look at different scenarios. Uh, the budget model for Social Security and immigration uh, looked very much at uh, uh, specifically how a, an individual change would change the bottom line. Right. But when it comes to taxes, it's a little more complicated because you get into behavioral issues. What right. will people do with a tax savings? How will they spend it? Where will they put that money? And as you talked about, a, a, for example, accelerated depreciation, mm -hmm. that's changing a company's business decisions. Right. So. Talk about that a little bit, those yeah. differences. Yeah, so in the case of Social Security and immigration, what our simulators allow, allow people to do is to uh, go and play with their own policy ideas of, for example, um, raising the retirement age or changing the amount of uh, the, t the taxable maximum that's applied of income that's applied to Social Security. Um, and, the, and less important in, the, in Social Security and immigration are things like demographic assumptions. Those are the things that economists mm -hmm. are much more aligned on. Um, when it comes to tax policy, where the big disagreement is, is, is actually on the behavioral assumptions. And so that's what we're highlighting in the, in the simulator itself. And also the candidates themselves, they have specified what the policies are. And so um, we're focused more on uh, giving, letting people see if they believe um, uh, one behavioral assumption is more important than the other. They can test their, their, their ideas. Eventually, after the election is over, we'll, we'll bring back to the tax calculator um, the ability for people to design their own tax plans. So this difference... Uh in, in this behavioral aspect, how, how is that handled? Because it, in the end, that's a judgment call, correct? So you offer different scenarios where you can, uh, where, where users could make a judgment uh, about how they expect taxpayers to react and Yes, yes. Okay. And so, in particular, there's really four basic um, controls. The one that's the most important is the, is the rate at which international capital will flow in and out of the United States. And that one is by far the most important um, one because uh, several of the tax plans, in particular Trump and the House GOP, will create some deficits along the way. And if international capital flows are very aggressive, then that will um, minimize the negative impact of those deficits on the economy. If, uh, however, for closer to a closed economy, then those deficits that compete for household saving and reduce private capital. Um, but, but then we have other assumptions. Like so that's, that's the famous crowding out effect, correct? Yes, that's, that's exactly right. Okay. And so more international capital flows, less crowding out. Um, and so it's more favorable. Um, uh, then we have other assumptions like how much do households themselves increase their labor supply or decrease it with respect to a tax change and uh, this uh, what's called a saving elasticity, how much do they respond and, and change in their saving. Historically, academic models have really focused on those elasticities, the labor supply elasticity and the saving elasticity. And the reason why is academic models typically focus on balanced budget um, experiments, uh, kind of like optimal tax design type mm -hmm. stuff for a given amount of revenue. But it actually turns out for this exercise, um, the international capital flows is by far the most important assumption. Uh, and so how do these things stack up against each other? I assume, I'm assuming that you made assumptions. That your, sure. Your best idea about how things were likely to go when you were choosing these behavioral aspects. Uh, what did you find when you did that? Yeah, I mean, so when we... Um, 
Uh, we provide a, a, a very generous uh, range of those different beha behavioral assumption parameters. And so it's not necessarily that I personally believe that range is that wide. You, you plural. <laughs> but yeah, that's right. And uh, But at the same time, we do pick what we think is a reasonable baseline, mm -hmm. but then allow users to change that. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to uh, the, how do we come up with a reasonable baseline mm -hmm. is that we've, uh, in, in conjunction of with uh, building out the simulator, have uh, conducted empirical exercises and reviews of the literature to uh, narrow down what we think is a reasonable kind of starting point for people. But in the case of the tax simulator, there's 256 different combinations that people can play with. You know, so that they, um, if they have different judgments about it, they they can they can uh, decide for themselves. But how did it turn out when you uh, when, when uh, your group, let's say, put in what would be the most likely scenario from right. their point of view? Right. So we why don't we because the upcoming election maybe just discuss the the Clinton versus right. you know Trump analysis, and so what we viewed as the most likely scenario. Um, is uh, for in the Clinton plan, in the short run, it's fairly neutral on the economy. There's a small little you know, positive followed by a small little uh, a negative, but it's, it's, it's fairly neutral in terms of uh, GDP, jobs, and so forth. And this would be just tax policy, not counting, for example, I mean, both candidates, for example, are talking about uh, fiscal spending, right? That's they're, right. They're talking about you know spending on infrastructure and that sort of thing. So this is just looking. This it's, is isolating tax. That's policy. right. It's it's focused on on just the tax policy. Okay. In the long run, because uh, the Clinton plan is uh, overall increasing taxes, it's actually leading to lower debt. Um, that. That, that otherwise would have occurred under current policy. And that's actually having a positive effect on jobs. So by 2027, uh, we're, we're projecting there will be about 600,000 more jobs. By 2040, about uh, 2 million more jobs um, uh, than otherwise would have had in that year. So these aren't enormous changes, mm -hmm. but they um, start out at you know slightly neutral and then going to more, more positive. For Trump, it's just basically the opposite. Almost all the bang comes er early on. And in the, sh in the short run, we're projecting that GDP will go up about 1.75%. And a real upper bound calculation on how many jobs would be, uh, would be uh, produced um, is about two, two and a half million jobs would be produced early on with his approach. However, over time, because his plan is very unbalanced uh, fiscally, it's going to produce f fairly large deficits, and that's going to have this crowding out effect. It's going to be competing for, with, uh, uh, for, with private capital for household saving. And so we're projecting by uh, within 10 years, 2027, um, it, he, uh, uh, we'll actually have 700,000 uh, fewer jobs. And by 2040, if the debt is just continues to kind of almost spiral out of control, uh, we're actually projecting 11 million fewer jobs. So it'll be very interesting down the road when yeah. policies are chosen and so forth for you to look back and say, here's what the model projected. 
here's what actually happened, and you'll be able to tweak it in, in, in different ways. That's right. And in, in, so I like to say all models are wrong. <laughs> I mean, um, there's no model that is going to have, you know, perfect crystal ball in, in, into the future. What we really get from these models is more understanding kind of the direction of things. Is this likely to be stimulating or contractionary for the economy relative to where the economy eventually mm-hmm. lands? Um, it's those what we call deltas that mm-hmm. we think are more reliable. And then essentially how big are those deltas? Are we talking about a small impact, a potentially large, large mm-hmm. impact? And for someone who wants to dabble in this model, where can they go to see it? Yeah, they can go to um, our, simply our, our website, which is uh, uh, www.budgetmodel.wharton.upenn.edu. Okay. Anything else you'd like to add that we haven't covered about this? No, I think um, you know the, the big picture is this whole um, you know project is really consistent with you know the Wharton School's overall vision. You know, of trying to use data analytics, uh, advances in theoretical modeling, as well as cloud computing, all these things that we use um, for things in, you know, like marketing and business analytics. We're now applying this to public policy. And so this is, you know, I think an exciting venture for us and, and the Wharton School. Thanks for coming in today. Thanks for having me. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.